Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 21, if you're visiting with us and need a Bible in the chair in front of you, you'll find a black Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 21, and that black Bible, it's go to the back because they renumber the New Testament and go to page 17 of that black Bible. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 21, page 17 in that black Bible. Matthew chapter 21, <clears throat> I'll start reading verse 12. This morning we'll do um, chapter 21, verses 12 through 22. 21, 12 through 22. This will be our passage this morning. I'll read and then we'll jump in. And Jesus entered the temple and he cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a robber's den. And blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and scribes seeing the wonderful things that he had done and the children were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, became angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now early in the morning, verse 18, returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be fruit from you. And at once, immediately, the tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples marveled, saying, how did the fig tree withered immediately? Jesus answering them said, truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you should not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, arise and be cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Halloween is a holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. And some of you probably know the tradition, how it got started. It originated with the ancient Celtic or Celtic festival called Samhain, and it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's pronounced as Samhain. When people would light uh, bonfires and they would wear costumes to ward off ghosts. In the eighth century, Pope Gregory III designated November first as a time to honor all saints. Soon, All Saints Day, November first, incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve or later Halloween. That's how it morphed over time. It's amazing to see how these rituals and traditions, they develop over time uh, to the point where we forget why we're even doing it. It was something that they talked about. They were doing something in reference to apples at that time, and that's where you got the whole uh, tradition of bobbing for apples during the Halloween time. Interesting. As Christians, 
we're tempted to do the same thing. With our different uh, rituals, traditions, they end up becoming just that. Rituals. Rituals. Important things. These are forms that we have to remind ourselves as, as ways for us to worship, to worship God. But what ends up happening, we focus on the forms and we lose sight of the function. The forms are just ways by which we do the function. What's the function? Worship God. Worship Christ. True worship. Worship is a heartfelt response as we understand something about who God is. That's worship. That's a definition of worship. But we lose sight of that. And in Matthew's gospel here, the, the driving theme of his gospel, bow down, worship Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, here in our text in 21 verses 12 through 22, we will see true, real, genuine worship. That's the kind of worship we worship Jesus. True, real, genuine worship. I'll put it in a statement for you. Worshiping Jesus should be true, real, and genuine. We must be careful not to lose sight of why we do the things we do. We give honor, praise, glory, and thanks to Jesus, our merciful Savior. Who came to serve us? Remember early in chapter 20, verse 28? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to serve us, to die, to to be our ransom. God serving humans. God serves his creation. There's nothing like that to show us mercy. So we worship this Jesus, this eternal son. We give him our honor, our praise, our glory. We give him thanks. Put it in a negative way. You can say all the right words. You can sing all the right songs. You can pray all the right prayers. You can take all the right notes for the sermon. And you should be taking notes for my sermons, by the way, I'm just kidding. But you should know. You can say all the right words, sing all the right songs, pray all the right prayers, take all the right notes, but if your life doesn't show true worship, then all you do this morning is nothing but a sham. You're a hypocrite. And so would I be. Now we must be careful. We will fail in our worship. We will never be perfect in our worship, which is why Jesus had to die, right? Because we're not perfect in our worship. Because we fail in those things. That's why we need a Savior. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Mm-hmm. So we hang on to the saving person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls us to true worship. So on on the one hand, yes, there's true worship, but on the other hand, we realize that we will fail it and yet we must trust Christ. We do both. Here you see 
Jesus entering Jerusalem as first action is a cleansing, a purifying of worship. And then the second act, he healed the blind and the lame. He's welcoming. Two more clues that vividly displayed his true identity, that he is the Messiah. And because their worship was only a sham and, and it was just a ritual, he cleaned house. God wants heartfelt devotion. God doesn't want your ritual. God doesn't want your words. God wants your heart. He wants this, which should show it in, in this and in this. It should show it theoretically, but it starts here. And, and he's confronted by the religious leaders when he does this. He cites Psalm 82, we'll see that, which also shows his identity. And, and you see how the old, we read that in Jeremiah, the Old Testament spoke against these financial robberies and, and attested to the cries of infants this opposition to Jesus, you'll begin to see is climaxing and getting stronger and stronger. But it's obvious, it's obvious these four actions, and we'll look at those in a second, these four actions display the very heart of God himself, true, pure worship, and, and reaching out to others, even to outcasts, welcoming. That's a part of worship. We'll see that in a moment. Even though these kids were speaking better than they knew, the fact that they were speaking, it was putting these leaders to shame. Again, clear, vivid, bright signs of his identity. But look, unless God moves in the heart of a person, a person simply will not see the true Jesus. You need a heart change. That's that's how God begins the process of worship. He changes your heart. It starts here. God wants real, true, genuine worshipers who worship Jesus Christ. And he calls us to that as his people. So, true, real, genuine worship. What does that look like? Four aspects or four actions we will see. There's the first action, number one. A first action, first aspect of worship. Remove your hypocrisy. Remove it. Cut it out. Notice he says here, this historical account here, Jesus, the second cleansing, which I believe is the second cleansing of the temple. Verse 12, he entered the temple and he cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Notice how Jesus completely disrupted the crooked financial trades. This was Herod's temple, Herod the Great. He, he really built up this place. He enlarged the entire walled complex, which they say was about the size of 35 football fields in lieu of the Super Bowl today. <clears throat> Merchants probably were in the outer court of the Gentiles. That's probably where they were. Most likely even where Jesus healed the blind and the lame because that was as far as they could go probably even the place where the kids were singing Hosanna 
to the son of David. And notice it says there in verse 12, they were buying and selling. Well, why? What's, what's happening? This is happening because of the sacrifices to be done for, for Israel's different feasts and festivals. Specifically here, Passover. So you have Jews who come from all over the Roman Empire, everywhere, from the outskirts, coming to celebrate. And they'd have these foreign coins. The dollar was weak in those days. So they have these foreign coins. Did you get that? Nobody got that. Thank you, that one person who's laughing. It needed to be exchanged. I mean, you didn't want to have any of these pagan inscriptions on them. I mean, you don't want Benjamin Franklin on that. You're not supposed to have that. You can't have these pagan inscriptions. That's supposed to be funny too. But so people everywhere, you see all these people everywhere, there's all these things happening. There's noise there's animals, sheep dying all over the place. No place to pray. Many who were poor, who couldn't afford these lambs, they would purchase these doves. It says here at the end of verse 12. But it seems that the problem was not just where these exchanges took place, which uh, the other gospel writers bring that out, because it was in the court of the Gentiles. But for Matthew's gospel, it was the merchants being dishonest. The exchange rate was ginormous. They were charging them exorbitantly amount of money. Which is why Jesus has, says here in verse 13, look at it. And he said to them, it is written... He quotes from the Old Testament, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den, Jeremiah chapter 7, which we read from this morning. No, no. Instead of being a place of prayer, worship, praise, it was a robber's den with merchants taking advantage of the situation. And no doubt the religious leaders were making a little bit of a profit too. When the temple is supposed to be a place of prayer, it had to become a trading post. Because the people are focused on what? Well, I got to get that lamb. I got to get that dove. And that's not necessarily bad, but it ends up becoming just about the tradition. They, they've lost sight of what's really true. And in his action of cleansing the temple, Christ set the record straight when it came to worshiping God. They professed to be God's people, but their lives proved otherwise, which we'll see that later. Um, Their commercial, quote-unquote, of being God's people was false advertising. That's how one writer put it. It was just an outward show. It was not real specifying the religious leaders here, by the way. True worship, true worship removes hypocrisy, which is saying one thing and doing another. It's exactly why we read from Jeremiah chapter seven. The nation of Israel, they were doing all these things and then they would come to the Lord and say, we're delivered, we're delivered, we're delivered. Oh good, we don't have to worry about how we live, but what matters is, oh, we're just doing all these rituals. And I believe it's in the book of, of Micah, the prophet, where the Lord says, I hate your festivals. 
No, as even in Isaiah, I hate your festivals. I hate your new moons. I can't stand it. Because you make it all about your ritual. Friends, this is our temptation as well. Paul told us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It was written to us to warn us. It's so warning to us. We don't end up making the ritual of even partaking of the Lord's Supper a simple ritual and we lose sight of what it's pointing us to, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, and it's that grace that changes my life. We lose sight of that. Remove the hypocrisy. The temple should have been a place of prayer and worship. It became the very opposite. Question, friends, have we become so caught up in the church thing that we're not truly worshiping the Lord Jesus? Is it all just a show? I can't read your heart. I'll never be able to read your heart. You can't read mine. But let this be a challenge for us. God, you have my heart. I want to give you my heart. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Remove the hypocrisy from me. Second, be welcoming. Be welcoming. This is where you get verse 14, 15, and 16. Blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. This is the last recorded healing in Matthew's gospel. And the blind can only come to the court of Gentiles. I said that earlier. They were cured there. And, and here's the irony in this. Here's the irony. Removing hypocrisy, but then Jesus is also being welcoming. Here's the irony. You have Jesus clearing the temple. It was casting out the insiders, the fakers, where his healing displayed welcoming others, the outsiders, those genuinely in need. We get those things backwards. We do all the right rituals and all that stuff and then we push out each other. That's not supposed to be like that. Remove the hypocrisy, true worship, and then we're welcoming to each other, even to outsiders. And notice how the priests and the scribes, they responded here in verse 15. Seeing the wonderful things he had done. What wonderful? He's healing blind and lame people. That's, that's horrible, isn't it? Isn't that horrible that Jesus was healing blind people, lame people? I mean, how could he do that? You're not supposed to do that in the temple. Come on, Jesus. Get your head on straight. I'm being sarcastic. Of course you're supposed to do this. That's worship. You're welcoming people. And then they see the children who are actually quoting from the Old Testament, Hosanna to the son of David. They became angry. Actually, no surprise they would get angry. Jesus is uh, uh, doing something to their lucrative business. He's threatening their lucrative business of the money coming in. They hated the fact that Jesus questioned them. He, he's, he's uprooting our control. And look, look at what they say here, uh, um, here in verse 16. Uh, do, do you hear what these are saying? That these kids are calling you Messiah. Aren't you going to do anything about it? You, they shouldn't be calling you that. You should know that. And notice uh, the children, they're the easiest targets to attack. Nice. There you go, religious leaders. 
What about the unholy traitors? How come there's no mention of that from the religious leaders? What about people praying? How come they don't bring that up? You see? Unfortunately, they had forgotten Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. God desires mercy and grace, not sacrifice. It wasn't about following a ritual. It was true, heartfelt worship of God. Their worship was a sham. Worshiping God is being real before God and welcoming each other to outsiders. I'll tell you, just so that you know, there were people who, who knew Christ and people who didn't know Christ who were expressing to me over the past two, three weeks they were saying, wow, I can't believe you guys as a church were doing this for, for this for Lady Judy Carlson. That's a testimony. You understand that, church? You're doing that. You did that. That was a testimony, not just to other Christians, but non-Christians. They were saying this to me. Wow, what you guys are doing as a church, that's just amazing. I don't think I've ever seen a church do something like that. I have somebody, actually one person tell me that. Exactly. <laughs> Welcoming. They should see that in us, right? The religious leaders had forgotten. Oh, let today be a reminder to you, O Christian. Friends, members, Christians, let this be a reminder to you when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Don't let this just be a ritual. You're saying, Lord, you have my heart. I want to remove my hypocrisy. I want to be welcoming. That's, I, that's, that's worship. Verse 17, Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, Yep, of course I do. Have you never read? And he quotes here Psalm, uh, Psalm 8, verse 2. These little ones called Jesus Messiah. And actually here Jesus is calling himself God. Because, because Psalm Chapter, uh, chapter 8, the psalm, is a psalm to God. He's actually calling himself God. You see that? You guys should have been listening to the kids. Okay, they're just kids who don't know any better. They're actually speaking better than what they knew. These kids, they really didn't understand what they were saying. They were just following after their parents. Yet they were speaking better than what you should know, religious leaders. Have you never read? You see what he's doing here? Signs of his messiahship. They should have seen it. Here, the cleansing, the healing. They should have seen it, him riding on the donkey. They were blind. Jesus confronted the religious establishment and their false, fake leadership. He was against hypocrisy and called them to reach out and welcome the broken Welcome your own people. These are your own people. And you're stiff-arming them? And you're, you're, you're showing a, a, a hard-hearted attitude against me healing your own people? How does it make any sense? It's, it's, like, it's crazy. Unfortunately, Israel's worship was corrupt. 
They did not realize. They were so focused on the ritual, they didn't realize that something greater than the ritual was here. See, don't, don't just focus on the ritual. The ritual, the ordinance, is directing you to focus on something that's greater than the ordinance. It's Jesus. This is the means of grace is the gospel, not the elements. They do nothing for you, unless you're like really hungry and you like grape juice. They don't, they don't turn into anything, but they direct you to what Christ has done by turning you into something that you used to not be. You used to be someone who was not a worshiper of God, now you are. That's what this does, it points you to that. Don't lose sight of this. But Jesus is not only calling for the repentance of abuses that in their lives, and their worship, it was, it was a warning of the judgment to come if they would not repent. This is a warning of judgment. A very uh, typical is, Israelite prophetic message. Repent of your corrupt ways, else future judgment awaits you. But hope is always granted with repentance. When you come to God, you've got to repent. I, my, my worship has been hypocritical. I, I've not been welcoming. I, I repent of that. God welcomes that. He welcomes when we humble ourselves before him. Hope is granted when there's repentance. He, God, excuse me, Jesus was calling God's people to live true, genuine, fruitful lives. We'll look at that in just a moment. He was purifying their worship and readiness for the day of the Lord, as one writer said. They were saying one thing, but they did another. It's not about the ritual, but being kind, welcoming, gracious towards each other, gentle, forbearing, showing forbearance to one another in love, Ephesians chapter four. Our whole lives change. That's what the gospel is all about. When there's repentance, God changes your life. That's why if you're here, you're not a Christian, you need to trust Christ because you need a heart change. Uh, heart changes that, so that you can worship God, so you can be a worshiper of Jesus. Trust Christ and you'll become one. Remove hypocrisy. Be welcoming. Three leads us to the next one. Live a fruitful life. This is where we come to verses 17, 18, and 19. Leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there early in the morning. Returning to the city, he became hungry. Came back, saw this fig tree with leaves. Why is that a big deal? If a fig tree is in leaf, it would bear figs. Uh, Maybe not necessarily the best time for the figs. They weren't necessarily totally ripe, but still fruits and still able to be edible nonetheless. But he found nothing on it except leaves only. So it gave the outward sign of having fruit, but in reality, it bore none. It was giving out a false advertisement. If you look deeper, nada. And notice what Jesus does here at the end of verse 19. No longer shall there ever be fruit from you. And immediately the tree withered. He cursed it. Matthew doesn't give us all the details the other gospel writers do. Matthew tells us a story, but the point he's trying to make here is the leaves gave the appearance and the promise of fruit. 
but it was a sham. In the Old Testament, fruitless fig trees symbolized judgment. Isaiah chapter 34, Jeremiah chapter 8, the book of Hosea. So this whole historical scene depicted God's judgment upon Jerusalem, specifically her religious or temple leaders. They were not living fruitful lives. It was a sham. The the positive end of remove hypocrisy, live a fruitful life. Fruit meaning the life that's changed, a life that's changed, the showing growth, the showing true worship, that kind of fruitful life, it wasn't there. And these leaders were leading the people astray, but they and the people would be judged eventually. The promise of fruit, but offering nothing in reality as a picture of their empty lives where their hearts were far from the Lord. It's not the first time Jesus mentioned this. I have that there. Yeah, chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Their heart is far from me. Christian, God wants your heart today. Don't just go through the ritual of just singing, praying, and all those things. And even pray, God, help my heart to be there. Help me have a real heart of worship today, right now. Not the ritual, but living a life of praise and thanks to you and how I treat others. May our mouths not just sing the gospel today, but our lives live the gospel today. Not, not just here in the service, which is it's not necessarily it's bad. I mean, it's good. We should sing. It's good for us to sing. It's good for us to pray. But if your heart's not there, why are you doing it? Why do you come? And if there's no change of the gospel in our hearts and lives, there's no change, why do you do this? Ritual. Remove hypocrisy. Be welcoming. Live a fruitful life. Last one, number four. Pray in faith. Look at verse 20. And seeing this, the disciples marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once or, or immediately? So here, uh, the disciples, they missed the whole point of the action. They didn't miss the whole thing. <laughs> Focusing instead upon the how rather than the why or, or the what. Yet, Jesus patiently and graciously used this as an opportunity to teach or even to train them about an aspect of true worship, trustful, believing prayer. Praying in faith. Notice what he does. He teaches them. Verse 21. And answering, he said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, You should not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, arise and be cast into the sea, it shall happen. He's using this, we've seen Jesus use this before as a hyperbole. He's using a a drastic illustration to try and 
prove and teach a point to them as they prayed in faith with God's kingdom and God's will at the forefront of their minds, they would see even greater things happen than a tree withering. We pray in faith, trusting in God's will. True worshipful prayer is wholeheartedly trusting God without doubting and with his will and his coming kingdom in mind. That's prayer in faith. Jesus uses this hyperbole to try and make a point. We should trust God and his will, praying in his will, praying for his kingdom to come. And when we pray in that way, he says there at the end of verse 22, all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. <clears throat> and for the disciples, this would truly be the case for them. They were the pillars of the church. God will reveal everything we need for life and godliness through them. They were the foundation. True, good, worshipful prayer is done trusting God with his will and his kingdom to be established in whatever he will do. It's not just a ritual. It's an aspect of true worship, which is why prayer involves praise, thanks, petitioning, supplications, crying out to God, Yes, when you're singing, that's, that can be an aspect of prayer. You realize that, right? <clears throat> you can sing and be praying. And if we pray in this way, as God's people, we're sure to receive what we asked. As we look to God in dependence, He will answer. Uh, Jesus brought this up in Matthew chapter 6. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. He brought this up in chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, you shall receive. Seek, you will find. Knock. When you have God's will and God's kingdom in view, you pray, trusting God and his sovereign rule, he's in charge. And you know that and you trust that. Part of true worship is praying with faith, trusting God to move mountains how he sees fit, when he sees fit, and where he sees fit. It's prayer that trusts God. It trusts his character. It trusts his sovereign will. That's worshipful prayer. That's an action of true, real, genuine worship. And this fruitless fig tree portrayed Fruitless Israel, their leaders. Their, their, their sham worship was just reformed. It was cleaned by Jesus. Their prayers was all just a big show, but true prayer with, with faith will even move mountains, says Jesus. Worshiping Jesus, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ should be true, real, and genuine. We must be careful not to lose sight of why we do the things we do. <clears throat> we give honor praise, glory, and thanks to Jesus, our merciful Savior, who's redeemed us, he's ransomed us, he loves us, he gave himself up for us, he's the atonement of all our sins, we have forgiveness of all our sins, even of the sin of our sham worship. Because you can say all the right words, You can sing all the right songs. You can pray all the right prayers. You can take all the right notes. 
But if your life doesn't show true worship, then all you do this morning is nothing but a sham. And yet, God's good. That's why we need a Savior. Because in your sham worship, if you are just doing the words, going through the motions this morning, hope is given when there's repentance. I want to encourage you to repent even now. God, you know what? My heart wasn't even there. I was just going through the motions. Help me to worship you. Give me a heart of worship that trusts you, Christ. And not just, we're going to partake of the elements. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. As you say, I don't want this to just be a ritual that I do. I want this to truly be focusing me and directing me to worshiping and giving praise and thanks to you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. And these elements... It's for anyone, if you're here, you're not a member, uh, hey, I'm not a member of this church. Look, if you come from a church of like faith and practice, and since we're Baptists, we would prefer that you're baptized by immersion, partake of the elements with us. You don't have to be a member here. We definitely don't think you should partake of the elements if you don't know Jesus. That shouldn't be for you. And we definitely would advise that you not partake of the elements if you have something against someone. Not to say you've gone to reconcile, you can't reconcile but someone you've, you've not gone to reconcile and you've not gone to reconcile with them you've not reconciled with them we encourage you you should first go reconcile with that person and then come and partake of the elements with us since God is reconciled with us again true worship is we're reconciled with each other as Christians so if you would please take a few moments and this will be a time for us to focus to think to let our hearts ponder what we've seen through God's word we'll have some times of silence and you can examine your heart and proclaim the gospel to yourself I'm going to encourage you to do that proclaim the forgiveness of sins that comes in Jesus and by his death and resurrection speak that to yourself you're reconciled with God speak to yourself there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Speak the gospel word to yourself. Talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Speak truth. And after a few moments of silence, for you to examine your heart and direct your heart to the gospel word, I'll ask the men to come to hand out the bread to us. Take these few moments. Uh, let your mind fill up with gospel truth to bring about true worship from your heart.